0: you found 1 Corinthians 15. Why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I'm going to preach on the verses 1 through 4. I'd like to get context. So let's just read from verse 1 down to verse 8 and get a feel for what Paul is talking about in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right here, verse 1. Paul writes, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you also are being saved if you hold fast the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then also to the apostles, and listen to what Paul says here. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Join me as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen brothers and sisters in Christ, that by your Spirit, through the power of your Word, that we might be encouraged. Father, I pray that for all of those here today, maybe even for the first time, we pray that by your Spirit, you might open eyes and ears to hear and see, to rejoice in the goodness of God found in Christ And so help us today, in Jesus' name we ask, amen. You may be seated. Today is a beautiful day because today is Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is the Sunday that makes all other Sundays possible. It's because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, and today we celebrate Him being alive, and we declare to a world, and we declare to one another that we actually do serve a risen Savior. Even the old creed said it. Jesus Christ, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. This Jesus that the creed speaks of that Paul writes about is the one true hope for the tragic world that we live in. I've chosen this passage 1 Corinthians 15. I've chosen it primarily because of one verse. Just come back with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and come down to verse 3. In verse 3 of the text that I just read, Paul says, "I delivered to you something that is of primary of first importance. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what you find is the most direct, the most intense, the clearest treatment of the resurrection of Jesus in the entire Bible. You know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul stakes everything on the bodily resurrection of Jesus that if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, he says, if Jesus Christ is not alive, if the resurrection is not true, Christianity does not exist. He says that the resurrection of Jesus gives life and joy and hope and strength to every other part of actually being a Christian. We understand it like this. At the cross of Jesus, when he said it is finished, victory is won. At the cross of Jesus, victory is won. At the resurrection of Jesus, victory is declared. The bodily resurrection of Jesus sits at the very heart of Christianity. And if we don't have the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have hope. In fact, down in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then my preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Did you know? So you're reading the Bible, you come to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. They tell you about the life and ministry of Jesus, come to the crucifixion and the, and the resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And when Luke closes the gospel, he opens up and writes the history of the church. And, he, and in, verse, in chapters 1 and 2 of, of Acts, he's writing the history of the church and the very first Christian sermons ever preached were focused completely on the resurrection of Jesus. If the resurrection of Jesus is eliminated, then the soul-saving, life-giving power of the gospel is completely void, and the gospel is useless, and Christianity does not exist. When the Apostle Paul is explaining how you become a Christian, so if you're sitting here today wondering, okay, how do I actually become a Christian? When the Apostle Paul is explaining how you become a Christian, he says it like this in Romans 10, verse 9. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you will believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's a promise to every person sitting in this room this morning. To every one of you that will trust in Christ. Paul is saying That in order for you to actually become a Christian, you must believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in the place of sinners and that God raised Him from the dead so that you might have life. Right up front. I mean, it's Easter Sunday morning, right up front. Here's the gospel in short form. In approximately 33 AD, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was nailed to a cross. He was nailed there to the cross as punishment for sin. Not His own sin, because He's perfect, but ours. He was nailed there as a substitute, according to the Scriptures. And the Bible says that He was buried. Saturday, lay dead. And then on the third day, which is a Sunday, it's why we gather on Sundays, on the third day, on a Sunday, according to the Scripture, God raised Him from the dead, And the promise is that every person, man and woman, that will believe in him will have life and have it abundantly. Now, I've been there myself. I've been to Israel and then into Jerusalem. I have walked to the tomb myself. And every year, millions of people go to the tomb where they laid him, and they see that the tomb is empty because Jesus Is alive. And the promise that I want to make you from the scripture, when you say it like this, a living Jesus will save you. The promise you can hold on to today is this living Jesus will save you. So, what I want to do is go through this passage, let's do it like a Bible study, and I'll just use a couple of questions to, to hang our points on. They'll help us walk through this passage. Here's the first question. Number one, do you trust him? Do you trust God? Or maybe I'll phrase it like this: Will you today trust him? You know, religion can be a very, a very personal thing. We're oftentimes taught not to discuss religion and politics with people you're not very close with, because sometimes disagreements or, or it just can get awkward. But I want, you to notice how, I want you to notice how Paul addresses the people in, in this letter in verse 1. Notice he calls them brothers and sisters. He, he's saying they are obviously believers in Jesus. And notice how he describes what they did with the gospel. Join me there. Verse 1, chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you slow down, received. The gospel Paul preached, so he declared it, he gave them the information, but that information is not any good until it is actually received. The idea is, is someone bringing you a great gift and extending that gift to you, that gift is not yours until you receive it. I got a wonderful pen in my pocket. Connie LaBelle Smith-Presley gave me this pen, February the 26th of this year, because it's my birthday. Write it down somewhere. My birthday. (laughs) This is a special pen. She extended that pen to me when I saw it on my birthday. I didn't sit and just look at it. I grabbed that pen. I received that pen. Why? Because it was a special gift. Now, Paul is saying, I preach the gospel to you. That gospel is no good unless you actually receive it. It's important for us to understand that the gospel doesn't just hang out there. It's not a statement of beliefs. It becomes what you personally, it must become your story. You must make it personal. Do you trust him? There are many people sitting here today, many people that come to our church, lots of them here now that believe in God would even say they enjoy coming to church and when they think about Jesus, would say, "Yeah, they believe in Jesus." But, but the gospel is something that must not just be passed by from time to time. The gospel must be received. Paul says, "I've preached the gospel; you actually received it." It must be made personal. Now, let me see if I can explain. When I say the gospel, this is what I mean. Let me explain it in a way that we normally do. We have categories. The gospel has to do with God. It has to do with mankind, men and women has to do with Christ. So we would explain it like this. That God is a holy creator, the Bible says. Created everything. He's holy and created everything, created us. Created you in his image. You as a human have the image of God. It's what gives you dignity, the image of God. That image of God in us has been disfigured by our own sin. Sin is not just bad decisions or mistakes. Sin is something we do that is an offense to God. What the Bible teaches. It's an offense to God, so that it makes it so that we are not in fellowship with God because He is holy, we are sinners. So you have God is holy, man is a sinner. God is not just a a just God, He is also a loving God, the Bible says. That He loved us in such a way that He gives us Jesus. This is where Christianity, this is exclusive to Christianity. That Jesus being fully God, as God's Son, and fully man. He lived on earth in such a way that He fulfilled all the commandments. This is important for us because we can't do it. We don't. We're sinners. But Jesus, as our substitute, lived as a man earning that righteousness. And then, after fulfilling all the commandments, here's the cross, at the cross, something happens. Because God is just, He must judge sin But because he's good, that judgment of our sin is on Jesus. That's why Jesus died on the cross. But he didn't just die on the cross. He also, for any person here that trusts him, he gives you his righteousness. We call it the great exchange. He takes your sin, you get his righteousness. So that when you believe in Jesus, this is the beauty of the gospel. When you you trust him, the Bible says that you are saved. So the first question we've got to roll around a little bit is, do you? Do you you trust him? While that circles around in your head, just a moment, come down the page a little bit, or at least another phrase, and let's, let's ask another question. Here's the second question. How strong are you? How strong? How much can you actually take? We just come through a really hard two years. H- how much can, can you on your own actually withstand? There are people sitting in this room right now. It hadn't been long since you were in a cemetery, looking down at a grave, of somebody that you desperately love. And you wonder, how strong am I? There's profound sadness in this very room. A- and yet... Resurrection day, under it, it comes underneath that sadness and holds it up. It doesn't always take it away, it holds it up. Come back with me to verse 1, let's read it again. Let me show you where I get that. Notice the last phrase in verse 1. Paul writes, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Now, when I say receiving Christ, that's not just you trusting in him for a one-time event that he'll save you so you can go to heaven, not go to hell. There's got to be more to it than that. You see, the gospel has the power not just to save you. The gospel has the power, according to this verse, the power to keep you standing in the face of tremendously adverse circumstances. That little word, that little word to stand. That little word to stand means you are established. It means that you are planted. It means you've got deep roots. Look, this gospel that I'm preaching, this is different than, um, this is, this is different than just trying to get people to come to church. This is why we don't do gimmicks at Hickory Grove. This is why we're not having helicopters fly over and drop Easter eggs or, or giving away iPads trying to get people to come to church or passing out hoping you can get a raffle and win a car. Why why don't we do those things? Because I want you to come to church on Easter Sunday, and if you happen to go back the next Sunday, what you're going to find is this is exactly what we do every single Sunday. That we're just going to open up the Bible, what does the Bible say, and then let's see how we can live according to that. And so this, this text is telling us that you don't just need to have a good experience on a Sunday. You need something that's going to help you I mean, some of you are facing some stuff. Walk out of here today. You got a week in front of you. You got problems and you have pain you don't know what to do with. And the promise is that the gospel saves you, right? But but Paul says, this is what you are standing is. This is what you're standing in. To stand there means to hold your ground. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, Great letter to the Ephesian church. And as he closes it out in Ephesians chapter 6, listen to what he says to them in verses 10 and 11 of that chapter. Paul says, Be strong, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you know what the full armor of God is? The gospel of Jesus is the full armor of God. And that gospel gives you the ability to stand in the face of your present struggle. That's the the power of Jesus Christ. That's the power of Jesus and His sinless life. That's the power of Jesus and His substitutionary atonement. That is, Jesus dying on the cross as your substitute That's the power of his resurrection from the dead. So that if you are a believer and the person you've lost this year or last year is a believer, there is a coming day when you will be raised from the dead and reunited because of the resurrection. Do you you today trust him? Will you? And, And how strong are you really are you relying on your own strength? Or are you willing today to say, I need, I need to receive and stand in that gospel. Let me give you a, a third question to consider. We'll use verse 2 to, um, to sort of illustrate this question. Here's a third question. Have you actually been changed? Have you been changed? I, I'm not asking you, will you change? Will you change change? That depends on your willpower and good habits and discipline. That, let's not, that goes off into something else that's not Christianity. Christianity is not will you change. Christianity is from the outside in. Have you been changed? Let me read verses 1 and about halfway down verse 2. Join me there. First Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you, slow down, are being saved. Let's work backwards. Let's let's deal with that word, saved. What does it mean to be saved? That word means to be rescued. It means to be delivered. Uh, It means to be saved from harm. It means that you... (coughs) Fell asleep smoking, you dropped a cigarette, it got on the bed sheets, and it's burning everything down. Someone sees that, you're asleep, they run into your house and save you. You didn't do it yourself, somebody saved you. It's the idea of being brought into rescue or to, uh, to be brought into good health, to be restored to safety. Later on in the book of Romans, when, uh, when Paul writes his magnum opus, Romans is theology. Paul says that we were dead in sin and Christianity is we've been made alive in Christ. You see, Christianity is not just some changed behavior. It's not you saying, you know what, I'm just going to do better. I'm going to get clean. I'm going to sober up. I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to be nice to my mother or whatever behavior you might come up with. That's not Christianity. Start going to church more. Christianity is much more dramatic than that. The way the Bible talks about Christianity gives us these terms like this. We were dead. And God made us alive in Christ. We were slaves. And God set us free by grace. We were enemies to God. And God By the cross of Jesus has adopted us as sons and daughters. When when Nicodemus came by night to Jesus, Jesus used dramatic language. He said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you you must be born again. Now here in the passage, I want you to pay very close attention. Now you're going to have to really, really dial in with me here at the verb tense in verse 2. I want to look at the verb tense. I know it's Easter Sunday morning. It's not the best time to... To give a grammar lesson, but I want you to dial in. I'm gonna we'll give you a grammar lesson for you and your serious sucker suit. Are right, you ready? Right here, verse two. You ready? Notice the text and by which you are being saved. Pay attention here. The tense here is present continuous. You know what that means? That means that salvation, so you got saved, salvation. Is a once and for all act, something that happens to you from outside, it's something that, that comes on you. It's by God's grace through faith in Jesus. You received it, but it has ongoing effects. You are saved once, happens, but there's something that just keeps on going. It's progressive. It comes back to the way you live it's not just some time when you were baptized or you were confirmed or you prayed a prayer that might be when your walk with Jesus started but that walk with Christ is ongoing that walk with Christ God uses the Bible he uses worship he uses prayer God uses all the events of your life so you can look back now look back just just for a moment Look back with me across your life, the last five years, the providence of God to get you where you are now, using every bit of that, all the struggle, so that you not only were saved, you are being saved. You are being made more like Christ. The question then is, have you have you been changed by God? With that in mind, just keep, keep pressing on this passage now. have you been chan- Has there something happened in your heart and life? There's another question I'd like to put in front of you. It's the fourth one. We'll, we'll go back to verse 2, and there's where we'll see it. Here's the fourth question. I'll, I'll just cover it briefly. And that is, what do you love most? What do you love most? It may, it's probably a who. Who do you love most? It may be a, a newborn child. Maybe a mother or father, it could be a husband or a boyfriend, it could be just a very close friend. Who do you, maybe it's a thing, maybe you didn't mean to be, but you just got you a brand new car and you love it more than you do anything else. You, who do you or what do you love the most? Go back with me to verse 2 and let's read it all the way through. Paul writes, and by which you are being saved, here comes the key phrase, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed." in vain you see it you see that uh, phrase that little phrase hold fast that little phrase means to catch something to hold it with both hands as tightly as you possibly can to hold and notice what he's saying to hold fast hold fast the word i preach to you for christians you see that the you see the gospel is the pearl of great price for christians And Christians love the gospel above everything else because because every person here, this is the joy of Christianity, every person here that is now a Christian was at one time not a Christian and lost and condemned. Let me just change it to a testimony to me. There was a time in my life when I was absolutely covered in sin. I was abhorred to God, I was going to hell, and deserved it. Covered with sin, but God, providentially, but God in Christ loved me and saved me. When I heard the gospel, he opened my ears and eyes and heart to believe it, and then I was changed. And God, what God has done for me, God will do the exact same for you if you will turn to him. Think with me now on the questions we've put on the table. There are four of them and I'll end with a fifth. The first question we've used is, do you trust God? Do you trust Him? Do you believe Him? Are you relying on your own strength? Maybe have everybody fooled, you're relying on your own strength. Have you been changed? I don't mean just a one-time event, it certainly is very important. I mean, is there evidence that there's a work of God in your life, that you are growing in Christ, that you're being changed? And because of that, you see that your affection, that what you love most in this world, even beyond the child, is the gospel. Let me see, can I end with, um, with, with one last question? I'll put it before you, and maybe this puts a finer point on it. Number five, do you need Forgiveness. Do you need to be forgiven? Do you carry with you the sense of guilt or a sense of worry or maybe anxiety? It just hangs over you. Maybe it's turned into some bitterness. Do you need forgiveness? Let's go to the heart of the passage. Come with me to verse 3 and 4. That's where the gospel is in verses 3 and 4. Let me read it. Let's just spend all of our attention right here. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let's see if we can just slowly go through it. Christ died for our sins. Jesus being fully man, we we know the humanity, but Christ gives us the divine name, that Christ died for our sins. The one who was fully God and fully man died for our sins. That word sin is the alienation from God. We are alienated from God. Our, Our offense has made it so that we are not in fellowship with God. We have broken His laws, and because He's just, He will punish, and we stand condemned. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And this is what the promise is Christ died for our sins. Paul tells us that Christ died for your sins. That one person, Jesus, died on behalf of the many. Why did he do that? To satisfy the judgment of God. Paul says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Here is the gospel that Christ died as your substitute. It's the great exchange. As your substitute, He takes your sin, gives you His righteousness. That's the promise of the gospel. Not only that, go back with me to verse 4. Verse 4, Paul tells us that Christ was buried according to the Scriptures. Paul tells us that in no uncertain terms, He was dead. Died on Friday, Saturday, dead. The original Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, dead. Jesus Christ rested fully, completing the law on Saturday. That's why we're going to have church on Saturday. There, dead. A genuine corpse lying in a grave. His brain had stopped functioning. His heart quit beating. The color had gone from his cheeks. The, the stench of death begin, it started to descend. What you have there in the death of Jesus is an objective reality. The cold, lifeless, motionless, hopeless, dead. Paul tells us in this passage that the corpse of Jesus lay dead in a grave. He was buried. That God Almighty, this is what he tells us, God Almighty, the eternal and only judge, he delivered the punishment for our sin. Didn't punish Jesus for his sin. He was perfect. For our sin took the punishment for our sin on Jesus. Just think of it now. The full unthinkable wrath of God, of an incensed God, was poured out at the cross and all of it on Christ at Calvary so that Jesus becomes the sacrifice for people. It's the sin offering for mankind. He was, if you believe this, that means he was your substitute and the anger of God that you might fear has been poured out on Jesus. The justice of God has been satisfied. Here's a promise of the Bible, that the wrath of God, the justice of God, God is satisfied with the death of Jesus on your behalf. The holy anger of God has been emptied out on the cross of Christ. The cross of Jesus is where the The justice and anger of God meets the mercy and love of God and you, by faith, receive the pure grace of God. The cross becomes the flashpoint. Now, if you continue in verse 4, just look at the text, verse 4, you find the objective reality of the death of Jesus is now reversed, verse 4, it's reversed by the one that actually gave the fatal judgment. It's important, to note the, it's important to note the wording of Paul and what he uses in verse 4. Here's what he says. It didn't say Jesus raised himself. Verse 4, look at it. He was raised. Not just that he raised, the text is telling us that God, the holy judge that delivered the punishment, raised Jesus from the dead. The finality of the death penalty that had been delivered at Golgotha was now overrun by the love of God, the grace of God. God the Father now has raised Christ from the dead. God has spoken the final word of victory and life and hope. God, verse 4, raised Him from the dead. Did you know that there is more concrete, bona fide evidence for the resurrection of Christ than there is evidence for the conquest of Britain by Julius Caesar. Do you know that the bodily resurrection of Christ is the most documented, provable fact in antiquity? Do you know that the earliest creeds of the church always include the resurrection of Jesus do you know that the Old Testament pointed to the resurrection of Jesus? Do you know that the eyewitnesses that stood there watched him die on the cross, they would preach the resurrection to their own death because they saw it with their own eyes. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives the victory stamp of the gospel and it erases forever my alienation from God. And the promise is, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. You are brought in as a son or daughter of God based on what Jesus has done for you at the cross. Will you today? Will you? will you trust Him and Him alone? You believers, you Christians, your strength, are you, you you're relying on your strength? Or will you give yourself over to the strength of God and the gospel that makes it so that you can stand? Those of you that are wondering, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, a good question for you might be, have, have, you, have you been changed? Something happened in your heart where your faith now is in Christ alone and we're starting to see evidence. I mean, what do you love the most? Is it Christ? Do you, I think it comes down to that, do, do you need forgiveness? God is a loving, forgiving, gracious God that forgives and receives and accepts based on what Christ has done for us at the cross. Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. God in his grace raised him from the dead to declare that the struggle is over, victory is won, and forgiveness is yours. Will you come and give your life to Jesus Christ today? Would you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning, thank you. your heads bowed this morning let me just close with a couple of questions before we sing our final song do you need to be forgiven today if so when we sing our pastors are here sitting on the front pew if you'd like to come and talk to them be glad to talk and pray with you let's find out what it means for you to give your life to christ or if you prefer we'll all be out in the all be out in the lobby after church i'm glad to talk to you about giving your life to jesus christ If you're a Christian here today and you you just want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, it's a wonderful day to actually spend some time praying. Our pastors are glad to pray with you on the Lord's Day, this Resurrection Sunday. It is my hope that you walk out of here and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the promise of grace and hope. And I pray now by your spirit, you would reach into the hearts of men and women that desperately need you today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?